Welcome to Power Hour, um, at a different time actually than is usually on. We're normally on at Friday at 8pm, but we're taking a Wednesday slot at 7 um, just uh, to, be, to, to be accommodating, I think, for the guest. Um, and I think hopefully, hopefully it'll be worth it. Normally what I do here is I will um, tell you a little bit about the guest or make my best guess to put my own words, what I think uh, they're doing. But I think instead of this time, I'm just going to hand it straight over to you, Aaron, and you can... Uh, you can you can do your own elevator pitch. How does that sound? That sounds great. Thanks very much, Owen. It's a uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I'm uh, Aaron Gallagher, obviously editor of the College View, twenty year old final year journalism student, and happy to be here. That's absolutely perfect. Thank thanks again. Look for coming on. Um, real hope look hope it's gonna we hope we're gonna have an interesting hour. Um, first thing I'd like to ask is just a very look broad question. Um. What are your experiences as being um, as being an editor or being kind of almost the head of of an independent kind of news organization? Yeah, it's fantastic. Like one of the first things I said to our team, and um, we have forty or fifty staff. Um, it's a completely voluntary newspaper, and um, none of us get paid, so it's just we do it through a passion of journalism. But one of the first things I would have said to our team is that we probably aren't going to get this opportunity again for a long time to have this uh, project where you can work completely independently and by independent we mean we've no political affiliation we've no sponsors pulling us this, pulling us this way university pulling us that way we can report the news and um, report as we see fit basically so if we um, once we graduate we might go into INM run by Dennis O'Brien INM uh, <laughs> for those of us that are home what's that independent news and media okay perfect so obviously Dennis O'Brien he owns a large chunk of the Irish media, News Talk, Independent, uh, The Herald, News of the World, uh, Sunday World, that sort of thing. So um, if we go out there and we get a job, we're going to be restricted. We're not going to have the same independence we do um, as a student newspaper. So um, it's a fantastic opportunity because we can just report as we see fit and we're not going to have that level of independence again for quite a while. Well, that's really interesting what you said. Um, I wasn't actually sure. Um, I, I knew obviously that for people that aren't uh, familiar, say, with DCU or how it's run. But Dublin City University has its own... Um, I assume they sponsor you and set you up with the printing and all the rest of it. Um, yeah, we'd receive a grant from uh, Clubs and Societies, which covers the cost of printing. Okay, yeah, so the Clubs and Societies here in Dublin City University would cover... Uh, we would give them a grant so that they can basically run their operations. But that's it. There's no fingers in any pies. It's just straight up, here's the money, here's... Um, us supporting um, this this again independent media organization. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Like I was quite surprised when I took over. Um, I expected to receive a few emails saying um, you can't report on this, you can't ask these sort of questions. But to be fair to the university, um, they've sort of just left us to it. I think they do appreciate the role of a newspaper, whether um, it's circulating to 200,000 copies or just to 16,000 students in DCU how important it is to just objectively report the news and to have the Twitter account going and I, what I was actually looking at I don't pick up the broadsheet myself um, but I will definitely have a look at the website mm -hmm. um, collegeview.com or whatever it is um, it, it is that it's the collegeview.com that's it yeah, yeah. Um, great piece of a website I'll actually urge you all to just check it out um, at the College View on Twitter, and then there's the Facebook page, and it's all very well laid out. It's all very professional, and maybe that was just my kind of uh, inkling. Maybe I was thinking immediately going in, I was going to be selling student media short, but you, you, you've done a very good job, um, you and whatever other editors you have running everybody else, but to keep it to quite a high standard. And um, especially one thing I'd like to say is about the real lack of bias in any of the writing. Um, we spoke a little bit earlier before the show about Reuters mm -hmm. um, and that's my personal favourite and perhaps it's a little bit uh, putting the blinders on but it's really the only news organisation that I'll really give much credence to um, aside from a few case others but I just I was really impressed with how factual and how there was no even kind of sly comments about even the way that things were phrased. If somebody was introduced, they wouldn't have um, pejorative, pejorative, and then whatever the hell um, is actually relevant to the story. Um, so it's a really good standard of writing that you have involved. And is that something that you've had to kind of build into the ethos of the company or the organization? Or is that something that you're... Um, 
journalists would really kind of uh, expect from themselves? Um, I think sort of we feel um, ourselves that we do sort of have a responsibility. We're the only student newspaper here. Obviously, there's DCU TV news as well and DCU FM, but for the large part, we're more or less the only organization based in DCU that's reporting solely DCU news. So um, I don't think the credit goes necessarily to ourselves. I think it goes to um, a lot of also journalism students, to our lecturers, because they would teach us um, the right ways to report news, to write news, to structure an intro, and also stuff like ethics and how you should treat a subject, how you should report the news. So I don't think it's necessarily something that we've brought to the fore. It's just um, there's, I think, a universal standard of reporting the news. Um, we all consume a lot of news. We read Reuters, we read The Guardian, we read The Telegraph, The New York Times, and we see Some what... people are reading The Sun and Breitbart and The Daily Mail. Yeah, sure, <laughs> but... Um, uh, we obviously all have our own news sources, but we, um, I guess we pick and choose ones that would have a higher standard. So um, in our lectures, we'd be referencing The Guardian, The New York Times, that sort of thing. And we want to incorporate um, the levels and the standards of journalism that they do into our own work, even if it is just at a student newspaper. Yeah, well, it is a really great opportunity that um, the university has given you here with, with the opportunity to, like you said, have so much control over what you're actually publishing um, to not be, as you were saying, getting emails from this higher up and that higher up saying, no, you can't cover this. It's a little, you know, it doesn't, doesn't make us look very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose while we're on the topic, I was chatting to a friend of mine, I'm not going to name him, but he's on the SU and um, he'd be very, very heavily embedded with the SU. And I was mentioning that I was having Aaron Gallagher on and he's smiling here in the studio away to himself. And he said to me, he said to me, he's an absolutely lovely guy, and he said to me, he didn't say, oh, I don't like the college view. Mm-hmm. He said to me, the something along the lines of, oh, the SU aren't the, that's the students' union, for anybody who's, who's not familiar, the, the students' union isn't all that, uh, how do you say, keen on the college view. They feel like they get a kind of an unfair slating from you guys. What would you have to say about that? Um, I acknowledge that point and I'm very aware of that point of view from the SU. This isn't something that's new. Um, This isn't new information to me. Um, Even when I took over as editor, this was something that past editors sort of pass on to each other. We do have this, um, I'd call it nearly an adversarial relationship in that we have to report on the news, whether it's good or bad. Um, The SU does a lot of work. It's there for the students and we report the good that it does. Um, but at the same time, we sort of have a duty to report the bad stuff because as a newspaper, newspapers are called what's the fourth estate and it means that it's there to hold the government and those who hold power accountable. So if we feel that the SU isn't doing its job correctly or that it's failing the students, we feel that we've sort of a duty to report that and point that out because if we don't, who else is going to do it? Do you know what? It's really interesting because in, in a way, this uh, on a much smaller scale, um, the college view imagine the college view is the irish independent or the independent or any kind of um public newspaper kind of public uh, national newspaper um they would do the exact same thing in criticizing the government of ireland and it's it's a very interesting parallel to see um see it here but i think i think you guys kind of get an unfair rap as you said you report the good and the bad but i think did you ever see the movie nightcrawler uh, no nightcrawler Great movie, Jake Gyllenhaal. I won't spoil too much, but he goes around. Uh, he goes around with a police scanner and a big giant camcorder and his partner or whatever, and they run around looking for disasters that happen: crashed helicopters, car crashes, home invasions. Sorry, that's my phone. That's incredibly unprofessional, but what can you do? Um, basically, a kind of a "if it bleeds, it leads" type deal, and it was a bit like I was saying. There was a particular story brought up in the. Um, brought up in the College View, is it a week ago now? Is it two weeks ago now? The one about um, St. Pat's campus and the, not only giant price hikes were kind of a, almost a throwaway in the article, but not on top of the price hikes, but the um, quality of the accommodation that was being provided. And it was really one of the first stories that I'd actually heard um, get any kind of a great, not a great reception, but it was one of the most widespread stories I'd heard everybody talking about on campus. And uh, it's obviously very hard for, for yourself to know what stories are going to pick up traction and what aren't. Um, so I'd just like to throw it over to you to kind of, 
I, I don't exactly want you to defend the stance or, or defend the reporting that the college you did, you're well within your rights to write whatever it is that you want. Um, but it, it's really indefensible what they did. What do you think? Um, well, we uh, I would have been aware of this story for quite a few weeks now. It's a story that um, our news editor, Hayley Halpin, has been working on for, I'd say, about a month now. So this is yeah. sort of, um, this has been a long-term project that she's been working on, an investigative piece. We got a tip-off about the living conditions in St. Pat's accommodation. And the story basically is that since the incorporation, they, um, campus residents felt the need to bring the price of St. Pat's accommodation up to the same price as the Glasnevin one. So that meant they raised the price of the rent by approximately 38%. About 38%, something absolutely incredible. And I know you're probably getting there, but they may have increased the price dramatically. They didn't exactly do much to increase the quality of the accommodation. Yeah, that's sort of where the kernel of the story is. They raised the rent. Uh, it's an extraordinary figure, 38%. And despite that, the living conditions have remained absolutely appalling. Now, um, can you give us a few highlights of these appalling conditions? Actually, that'd be that'd be nice. Yeah, sure. Well, um, obviously, you can read the story both on the college.com. There's a great video there, and it also went. Oh, the video is terrible. Yeah. Oh, I don't mean the video is terrible. It's a really good video, but <laughs> Jesus, there's some horrific stuff in it. Just look up the College View, even St. Pat's campus or something like that, and you'll find it. Yeah. Well, I think the video um, pictures tell you everything. As uh, it says, says more than words can. Yeah. Exactly. So, especially in a story like this, it's very visual. So Haley did a great job getting the video, editing that together, and taking as many photos as possible. Because if you're reading this in print, it doesn't have the same effect as the video does. So, um, yeah, like you said, the conditions were appalling. There was um, the one that stuck out to me the most was the front entrance. It's supposed to have like a card lock. So obviously, if you're renting, you have access to it but yeah the lock didn't work so anyone could walk in anybody could walk into the same paths campus at any point so that's Jesus. like the conditions like we can talk about them later but like just we, we can always i have the image of the the toilet in my head mm. and for those of you that either you're you can't look at it now or you don't plan on looking at it later but the only thing it can be described as is a cottage cheese looking substance overflowing from this toilet and it's if you're kind of squeamish, I wouldn't advise looking at these pictures because they're pretty horrendous. Yeah. Um, but obviously, look, security. I think that I think that's more the glaring issue there would be the security. Definitely, yeah. Um, I heard I heard a figure something like is it is it is it eight people to two bathrooms or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Oh, and and sixty people to four fridges and something Fridge just freezes, yeah. something 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 horrific. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, it's interesting to see um as as a media organization the college view it's you know it just it really wants to just lay out the facts there well that's it um, but i don't really want to call them ulterior motives but is it not sort of on your mind while these pieces are being written and and while they're being worked on um that they will eventually lead to some kind of change and some kind of improvement on these conditions yeah and i think that's absolutely no bad thing i mean if um i highly doubt that the price of the rent is gonna decrease this almost, year almost never no no definitely not but um i think the fact that we have brought this to the attention um of campus residents um obviously they were already oh, aware, they were of aware that. but the students the wider student body as yeah well. and especially one thing that i noticed as well who um really um took umbrage with the story was parents because a lot of parents were commenting on the story when it went national with the independent saying i can't believe i'm sending my children here i'm paying this um amount of money for rent amount of money and they're still rent. living in those conditions so like there's the, no ulterior motive here but if some change comes about i don't think that that's a bad thing in did any way. the independent pick it up straight from you guys or did they have another reporter go in or another investigative team or did they pick it up straight from you guys i know they picked it up straight away from Haley Halpin. Ah, okay. Okay, perfect. God. Reaching reaching places, reach, reaching above and beyond. Above and beyond the call of duty. Yeah. Um that's really impressive stuff. Like I said, you should check it out. Go to the college com. Go to um was at the college on Twitter, Facebook, etc. and you'll find this video. I'm sure it's pinned to some um some sort of a page. Um really kind of horrific stuff. Um I'd just like to chat a little bit about um, you mentioned other news um, organizations, INM mm -hmm. and um, 
these kind of giant conglomerates almost Mm -hmm. and the amount of freedom that you're granted writing for the college view and the amount of you know you didn't say there was no you know there's no advertisers pulling you one way there's no lobbyists pulling you another way there's no political affiliation there's no government affiliation there's no nothing like that it's very it's all very above board you have absolutely no reason to sway one way or the other um there's no profit motive there's nothing like that so it's 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 admirable in a way um so that that's really where the crux of the argument stands is how big of a problem do you think that this kind of corruption and, and lobbying and political affiliation is among let's start with a national scale and then we'll go on maybe further to an international scale well from a national scale i think um obviously we're very new to this whole uh, journalism game but it's very surprising to see um the affiliations that certain papers do have obviously if you've dennis o'brien running your paper you can't necessarily report on all his uh, misdealings and stuff like that. And um, Very true. I've worked in News Talk and uh, The Independent for certain periods of time, and you can say that what the journalists actually think of the situation and what they can actually report are two very, very different things. Um, obviously, they can't air their views in certain ways, but at the end of the day, the owners and um, the conglomerates, they're putting up the money, they're paying your wages, so... If you didn't have them, maybe you wouldn't have newspapers. But you wouldn't have the job, you wouldn't have the newspaper. There has to be some sort of a profit motive, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of um, new uh, organizations, like there's one in the Netherlands called The Correspondent, there's the Dublin Inquirer here in Dublin, and there's these uh, new organizations who see this state of affairs, and they're literally um, running it free. Uh, they're not for profit, so they might just have a paywall or a subscriber base, so you pay uh, 10, 15 euro a month, and that's their sole um, means of income. So it's just based on subscriber numbers, and it's not uh, any owner or any um, person putting. That's interesting. Imagine. It's it's almost uh, it's it's ne- it's Netflix for newspapers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the interesting thing about that is that you do maintain, like we do at the College View, complete editorial independence, which means you can report as you see fit. That's interesting because it w- if. That's very interesting to see. It's a really cool way to actually run things because you're letting. If, if enough people are contributing to this, then it kind of uh, negates the need for, like you were saying, an overarching kind of a, a, a figurehead or, or a kind of a power source or kind of a, a source of capital like that. Um, so you were saying that the Double Inquirer and what, D-Correspondent? Yeah, that's right. Um, be nice, shining examples of some good, honest journalism. Nationally, let's stay again nationally. Um, what would be the worst examples, the most egregious um, and kind of most obviously present uh, sources of bias in papers? Well, I think the most obvious example is obviously Rupert Murdoch and his array of tabloid newspapers. He um, really has a monopoly going. And which own- which ones does he own? Just for uh, as far as I'm aware, he owns the Sun. He owns most of the Australian press. Um, and I think he owns a large percentage of B Sky B, so that's obviously Sky as well. Okay. And you're saying this. My, my question really is: is what? I, obviously, you don't know what Rupert Murdoch's agenda is. Mm-hmm. Um, but seemingly from the papers, what kind of a stance is he pushing in the papers, or what? Not specifically what he's pushing, but what is absent even. Um, well, I think it's very, uh, I wouldn't read a lot of the English tabloids, but I think there's a common trend there where it's not very, uh, I guess, liberal would be the word. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's conservative, but it's very, uh, tabloid is just the only word I can use to describe right, right. it. I don't even want to call it right wing. Mm. Um, I kind of know what you're talking about. Any, any newspaper that at one stage in its life had a page three. Um, those kind of stuff. You said it owned a large part of the Australian media. Is that what do you mean by a large part? Is that just tabloids again, or is that like the yeah. Australia Post or I whatever think, it's called? I think it's mostly just the uh, daily newspapers. What's the tabloids? I think the problem with those how how are people still buying tabloids? I'm not sure, like why anybody would actually buy. Um, do you mean actually uh, people or owners? Um, people. Why would I, Owen Tracy, ever go into a shop and buy a tabloid? Maybe not me, just any any average Joe. 
Um, I guess you'd need to ask them. Like, I've worked in shops before, and it's a very interesting experiment to see the type of people who buy uh, different newspapers. Because you do. Do you, keep... do you start playing the guessing game as they walk in, saying, "You look like oh, you're an independent guy. You're wearing a suit and a briefcase. Got you." Oh <laughs> well, yeah, eventually. And after... then he comes up to you with four copies of the Daily Mail and a copy of the Sun, and you're just like, "God damn it!" <laughs> yeah, but um. To be honest with you, nobody really over the age of, I'd say, 25 actually does buy a hard newspaper unless they're probably a journalism student. Um, yeah. It's mostly men and women in their 40s and 50s who wouldn't necessarily have uh, an internet connection. And that's how they always got their news. And that's where they continue to get well, their news. Well, you know what? It's it's quite interesting. I, I only thought of it there now. But those headlines in The Sun and tabloids, I'm just going to say tabloids, um, those kind of salacious just totally egregious um completely over the top not not at all based in fact um claims and headlines it's a little bit like clickbait nowadays you know click yeah. you know those internet headlines have so have or those not the internet but those real day in print headlines have made their way over to the internet and i honestly hadn't noticed until just right about now um i think the most horrific example is if, if you've ever subscribed to or followed or liked occupy democrat on facebook or any of their media organizations now their own uh, political affiliations and mine aside good god they they jumped to some pretty crazy conclusions um you know if if, if anything is even said remotely poorly derogatory about one person um Let's say Bill O'Reilly, for example, I think he mentioned that um, he thought um, this black woman's hair was, I think he said it was James Brown hair. He said her hair looked like James Brown and that uh, he couldn't really, he couldn't really focus because he was, he was, he was kind of entertained with himself with her hair and they played a, a 60 second clip and it was um, Bill O'Reilly, um, sexist, racist pig. Um, should be taken off the air, and it was like, well, we just went zero to sixty really fast there, and that was, I know, I know the reason why you put that headline in because you got my click. I mean, Occupy Democrat, you fooled me, um, and I think maybe maybe we're, that's just a little bit of a kind of almost a seamless transition over to um, media on the internet and the phenomenon that is clickbait. Um, how how do you think that? How do you think it's kind of affected the landscape and the style of journalism in the past few years? This this kind of um, notion of clicks equals success and, and, and money and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting point in that um, comparing tabloid front page papers and their sensationalist uh, front pages and headlines to clickbait because um, I guess it is in a way it's just transferring online. It's not clickbait, it's like pickbait. Pickbait, yeah. <laughs> but um, what you find a lot of people do is that they'll just pick up the paper, read the story that they see on the front page, put it down, and you don't have to pay for it. But um, yeah, clickbait is just the eternal struggle of journalism these days. I mean, you see these websites like uh, Joe.ie, Sports Joe, The Lad Bible, these sort of things. And, and what's that? Uh, could you give your... Um could you give your your say more educated better read perspective on what is clickbait to the listeners well clickbait is basically a story that's the sole intention of it is to get you to click on it so that the story gets as many hits as possible the website can attract as many people to their domain it brings up uh, views so that they can get more advertisers and the sole basis of the story isn't to inform um your audience it's just to literally get the click by any means possible it's to manipulate people's tendency to oh look you you, you want you want to read stories that are interesting mm -hmm. um no matter that that's the story you might be reading might not have absolutely anything to do with um the story you want to read and that you're clicking on to read it could be a million miles away from what you're actually about to read mm -hmm. um but it's that notion of clickbait that's bring is bring it in and you said that it was the, the bane of the existence of the journalist nowadays or or maybe even the um, the moral or the ethical journalist and that's one of the points I want to talk about was ethics in journalism and you see how can somebody who's trying to just be above board and be that uh, independent media Dublin Inquirer Reuters D um, what was it called again the Netherlands paper D, D correspondent D correspondent they have a terrible name I can't can't think of it it's three <laughs> times it's escaped me um, but how do you do you think it's possible, even at this stage in the game, for an ethical or a above-board journalist to to really make it um, in this kind of landscape? I'd like to think so. Um, it's very... Um, we go into our lectures every day, and 
uh, journalism, it looks very bleak because newspaper circulations are down, people aren't listening to the radio as much, but at the same time it gives opportunities for new uh, online platforms and um, organisations that like to do proper journalism, but no, clickbait is the bane of journalism because a lot of graduates that come out of DCU here, um, we go into journalism because we think that we can make a difference, we can report the news, tell stories that are interesting and inform and engage our audiences, but at the same time, there aren't that many jobs, so if you have to take a job in... BuzzFeed, <coughs> sorry. Yeah, BuzzFeed is a good example, but at the same time, BuzzFeed are doing a lot of good journalism lately, um, but... Really? You're on BuzzFeed's side? What kind of, I, I didn't think that the guy from the College View was going to be supporting BuzzFeed. What, uh, can I cut a few examples? Um, well, no stories pick out uh, at the top of my head, but BuzzFeed is an interesting example because they receive a lot of criticism, and BuzzFeed, it uh, originated just solely as clickbait and... Uh, quizzes like which uh, which member yeah. of Friends which, are which you? Which Kardashian are you most like? <laughs> yeah, but um, they've really um developed. I guess they have taken on a lot of um journalists from other news organizations. So I know in the last year, some journalists have went from the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Times, and they've went over to BuzzFeed, which is astounding, really, because Do you, you think that's a money thing. Very well could be, but at the same time, they could be buying into this project where BuzzFeed are saying, okay, um, we're moving on from this clickbait. It's still going to be a part of our website, but at the same time, we're going to dedicate a lot of resources to long-term uh, investigative pieces and good journalism, which is a good thing. Do you think BuzzFeed's turning it around? That's Very, you know very slowly. I'm going to have to check it out. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to take your word for it on that one. Um, and you know what? There's another seamless transition. I'm doing it without even trying at this stage. Um, I'm going to have to check it out later. That's something that a lot of people, um, or it seems to me anyway, that there's a huge problem with people either reading one article and forming their opinion on the issue um, immediately from that. Mm -hmm. um, and not only that, some people, I've, I've genuinely been linked in parts of kind of discussions that I've had have been linked to articles where the headline was something along the lines, uh, you know, something something very, uh, very helpful to their argument. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of those maybe even clickbaity article headlines it was very it was very strong, very strong standpoint. And then the article itself, it kind of fell apart under its own weight of a claim. You know, and, and it fell apart with these kind of fluffy anecdotes and and no sources and feelings and all sorts of stuff that really don't have much of a place in journalism, mm -hmm. in my opinion, anyway. Um, so do you think, I, I think it should genuinely be stressed um, uh, that people should really be looking to, um, I know I'm guilty of this myself, um, I really, if I see something on Reuters, I won't look too far away, but then again, there are definitely people who might look at the journal and then might not look anywhere else, or might maybe look at a tabloid headline and then they don't look anywhere else from there, mm -hmm. and it's this, with, with all the and I'm going to use air quotes here, fake news um, that's been circulating lately. Um, I think it's really important that people actually go out and check their sources. And it's something that's drilled into us here in university anyway, um, that uh, the vast majority of people really don't get the chance to do. And really, I'm, 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 almost, I'm almost about to ask you what would be, um, is there any kind of a strategy um, that you'd even recommend to anybody uh, for somebody looking for looking for the bullshit, basically. Looking for the bullshit. Well, I don't think you should be. You should keep your eyes wide open to bullshit, but you should um, obviously go for as many trusted sources as possible. But that raises the question: Is there a trust? Is there one sole trusted news source? And the answer is probably no. Um, a lot of news organizations like to say we provide the best journalism. You can trust us. Like the Daily Mail. They're not going to say anything else, are they? They're not going to say, ah, we're all right. Yeah, but I think you need to be honest with your audience, to be honest. I think if you do have any biases, you just need to be open about them. And um, your audience will appreciate uh, appreciate you for that because it means yeah. they can understand where you're coming from and the point that you're trying to make. But, um, like, take the Daily, uh, the Daily Mail, sorry, for example, they apparently won Newspaper of the Year last year, and yet they come out with... Um, with this front page uh, either yesterday or the day before where it has um two of the leading british politicians Nicholas oh like this yeah yeah Lexit, you're talking exactly. like this i actually uh, that was me glancing past headlines what actually was the issue with that well <laughs> the issue was that it was a blatantly uh sexist front page i mean article 50 was triggered today brexit is 
the most um, pressing political issue in uh, Britain. Do talk about that later? Are you, are you well read on Brexit? Um, I'm read to an extent. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah, we'll, we'll chat some Brexit later. <laughs> yeah, but um, the Daily Mail, like, newspaper of the year, and they have that front page, so that's not necessarily... Yeah, I think you also have to remember that those kind of awards of blah, blah, blah of the year are pretty bullshit anyway. <laughs> yeah. Pizza of the year, as awarded by the greater... North Dublin half of D9 area. What? Sorry, yeah. Yeah, so we're the greatest out of these four pizzas that some panel of judges decided. So I, I don't know if I have much of a... Calling it the newspaper of the year doesn't mean very much to me, and I don't think it should mean very much to anybody else either. No, but um, to get back to your original question, I mean, are you looking for the bullshit? Just the only advice I'd have to anyone is to just get as many sources as possible. And, and see what's con- uh, constant. Uh, See yeah, it's consistent throughout each of the stories. Sure, but um, a lot of newspapers could miss something. Like if you read four or five newspapers and they're consistent with each other, that doesn't necessarily mean that what they're reporting is correct because one uh, newspaper could have a better source and they could tell it right. So um, you have to use your own judgment. I mean, the point of journalism is to present all of the information to your audience and let them make up their own mind. I mean, people are intelligent they can put two and two together and make I think up you're their giving own people mind. a bit too much credit <laughs> well you'd like to think so because people don't want to be told what to think people can make up their own mind so if you give them uh all of the points of view not just certain ones they can make up their own mind i disagree um with people can make up their own minds um i don't think people for the most part have very many original thoughts ever I think original thoughts are incredibly hard to think of. That for you to actually form your own opinion on something is incredibly difficult and requires a level of of self-reflection that I know I personally don't have and I'm sure the vast majority of people don't have either. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very, very easy to hear something. I've said this on the show a bunch of times. I was chatting to a guy, uh, God, two, three weeks ago now at this stage. We were talking about artificial intelligence and you know um different thoughts on that and and kind of advancements in learning and teaching and intelligence and so on and so forth but we were just saying that's really hard to have your own thought it's very hard for my brain to get to work and to get the gears turning and to produce something that is totally original because the vast majority of what a lot of people will think well these are just my beliefs no they're not your beliefs your beliefs that you heard somebody say and you either agreed or disagreed with them and i think in that way a kind of a media organization uh, i don't really want to bring morality or ethics into it but they kind of have an obligation to be as 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 unbiased as possible and to not be, be leading them one way or the other so to circle back to really what we were chatting about was was spotting the bullshit i know a strategy that I've heard talked about before was something along the lines of go to the far, far right. Go get a Breitbart and go get a Fox News point of view and then what you want to do is you want to go to the far, far left. You want to go all the way over to Occupy Democrat and then you want to just put the stories next to each other and you want to see what's fitting. What You want to see Again, like you were saying, maybe it's not a perfect science of finding what's consistent because some people may have missed certain things. But generally speaking, um, if if you can cut out the opinion and the and the drivel really that surrounds the actual news story, the truth is lying somewhere there in the middle, um, and it's something that a lot of people don't take the time to do. Um, do you know while we're here chatting about media and ethics and so on and so forth? Um, I think there's a huge issue with echo chambers in media. Um, People's Twitter feeds and Facebook feeds and surrounding themselves only with people of the same opinions of them Mm -hmm. uh, as themselves. And I was just just wondering, um, do you think that, do you think it's important to surround yourself? Do you think people, obviously they have the right to make themselves feel nice and comfortable, but do you think it's smart? Um, I think it's a very dangerous thing to just... um you know, be in that echo chamber, and if you're very liberal, just to read, you know, Occupy De- Democrat, read Owen Jones in the Guardian, that sort of thing. I think, like you said, it's very important to. Um, it's interesting to say to go way off to the right and find a news source, and go way off to the left and find a news source, because I don't think you should um, seek out a news source just solely based on their um, place on the political spectrum. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that they employ good journalistic practices, if, even if you're way off to the left or the right. If you're crap at journalism and you're crap at asking the right questions, it doesn't matter what your point of view is. What would consist of crap journalism? 
crap journalism uh, faulty sources not asking the right questions um just not getting to the truth being blatantly biased and unobjective okay okay fair enough so, so um per- perhaps um perhaps on a level I, I was kind of assuming almost that that maybe maybe in my head i was assuming we have the model journalist that is far right leaning and the model journalist that's far left leaning and maybe i don't think there's such thing as the model journalist i don't think anybody is 100 percent down the middle on everything mm-hmm. um just i think that's kind of human nature mm-hmm. so i think it was it was really just uh, it was an analogy maybe even a bad one at that but to find the if if all ceteris paribus all else being equal, we can find what is constant and what is consistent, um, and 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 maybe you know maybe you would actually find something that's the truth. Mm-hmm. But one thing I have to say um, about going either to the far right or to the far left is they are incredibly entertaining. Sure. Um, have you watched any Fox News broadcast recently? Just whatever um, pops up on over the election. Um, Megan Kelly on Fox News. I mean, there's a reason that Fox News is employing the most beautiful woman they can find mm-hmm. is because media has turned very, very quickly into entertainment over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the, especially with the election cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Is is that something you're you're aware of going as somebody who's soon to be going into the industry, um, or somebody who's been involved in the industry, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and somebody who's soon going into kind of the the INM side um, of it, really? Um, my question would be to you: Is how how did we fall into this uh, entertainment with news thrown in media culture that we're in? I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of clickbait. Um, the people who are running news organizations a lot of the time don't care about good journalism. They care about um, the amount of people that are reading their newspapers, the amount of people that are tuning in, and the amount of people that are turning on their television sets. So if they turn this into a game, into entertainment, and this was prevalent throughout the US election cycle, it means the more people are going to tune in, you get more advertisers, you get your more revenue, you get more money in your pocket. It all comes back to money. Yeah, and I think definitely, like, one thing that people say about uh, Donald Trump during the election is that TV networks realized very quickly that this guy is pure entertainment. People He's wa- gold. He's gold, absolutely. And people want to watch him. People really want to hear what he has to say, whether that's good or bad. People like to get outraged. Um, so they gave Donald Trump as much airtime as possible because it meant more people were going to watch him. And some people say perhaps that's part of the reason why he got elected because he was just, and it's still here today. He was everywhere. He's everywhere, yeah. absolutely. Um, he's, he's like even here today is right. I'm talking to um, Americans that are studying here. I think, just as a side note, I think university is an incredible, incredible place. Um, I've met so many different people from so many different backgrounds, internationally and nationally. Um, really kind of getting a broadening of perspectives. Um, there's there's two things that you said, and I just want to break them down one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to first talk a little bit about um regardless of whether or not the information is true but getting kind of this airtime and this coverage and that leading to him winning mm-hmm. and then i want to talk you mentioned people love to be outraged i want to chat a little bit about outrage culture if at all possible so i'm going to try and make a mental note to come back to the outrage <laughs> culture but first mm-hmm. um back to donald mm-hmm. um i chat about him at length on this show sure uh big fan big fan not of his policy or his thoughts or of even the person but by god he's entertaining mm-hmm. um he, he he won by he won by being in everybody's mouth and in everybody's ears mm-hmm. for the better half of you know two years mm-hmm. um and in a really incredible way of he was he was human clickbait mm-hmm. you know if if you saw a a story that started with donald trump or president or 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 a democratic candidate donald trump or whatever it was people were very inclined to click on the story um i i still think that in a few years from now there are going to be marketing lecturers who are going to be talking who are going to be teaching modules on how trump won the election because it's a master class in social media and media engineering is what he did um and really uh that, that, that's kind of what i want to know is what 
what are your thoughts on how we did it obviously look i don't think any either of us agree that it's particularly moral mm-hmm. um but do you have any kind of insight on what he did and kind of how he did it well i think you're right i think he manipulated and continues to manip- manipulate the media in a really <laughs> it's masterful it's it's i think there's no other way to describe it it's yeah. terrible and deceitful oh it's despicable but oh, it's terrific but it's masterful it's extremely effective i mean you hear journalists and journalism uh, lectures talk about this donald trump has absolutely changed journalism for the future um journalists did not know how to cover him um one of the things that keeps coming up time and time again is that if donald trump um tweets something at 4 30 in the morning and it's you know it's a complete blatant lie can you still print this can you still report this you know that it's not the truth and if you are um if you put this in your newspaper people might think it's true so one of the groundbreaking things about the election was that the new york times ran a front page that called donald trump a liar and they'd never done that before that actually ousted a presidential candidate and now president as well, it's it's not really slander because it's true mm. but they actually ousted him so so you saw some actual media organizations stepping up to him yeah definitely but just donald trump he's just changed things i mean like we said if he says something like one thing that i found amazing both hillary clinton and donald trump during the uh primaries during their debates they both had separate uh fact checking um sort of um tools on their website so they'd be fact checking each other during it and you sort of think you can fact check as much as you want but you're only fact checking the things that back up your point of view it comes back to this whole view of an echo chamber you can take as many facts as you want as long as it buffs up your point of view so and i think that's very dangerous and i think that's why it's important to have news organizations that do have no political affiliation because people need them they need to go to somebody who's telling them the truth that's not putting a spin on things but what about people who don't want to hear the truth because i know them and i'm sure you know them but there are some people out there who they they just don't care. They wanna they wanna he, they wanna hear what they wanna hear, and then they wanna put their fingers in their ears, and they wanna say la 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 la. I can't hear you anything that might make me feel um, conflicted internally. And I think it comes back to what I was saying about um, original thoughts. Mm-hmm. I think that if 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 you hear an opinion. And you say, let's say it's pretend I agree with this particular opinion. And then you start going, la, 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 I don't want to hear anything that comes against that. And then if you are faced at any point with any kind of concrete evidence that at all kind of kind of pokes holes in it in a kind of a logical way, and you can see the flaws in, in, in your own opinion, and, and this new source of information outside of your own personal echo chamber begins to shape what was just you agreeing with an opinion into its own thought mm-hmm. into its own actual personal opinion and that and that it's 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 very difficult first of all because you have to first come to realize yourself that you were incorrect mm-hmm. that you had a, an assumption which you deemed to be correct which was not mm-hmm. um and 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 it's scary it's scary for a lot of people it's scary for myself it's it's very difficult to kind of come to grips with the fact that you might have been full of shit uh, and that and that not only that you might have told other people that you were completely wrong and you were confident that you, that you now know um, things that you could have sworn and could have lived and died by the sword on to be true um, were totally false mm-hmm. or even just a little bit false. Mm-hmm. And you have to realize that there was some part of you that was lying and then maybe even you didn't even think you were, but you were wrong. Mm-hmm. And people, obviously, they need to get out of the habit of the, the going going venturing forth into the echo chamber would you have any tips for anybody who is interested in interested in climbing out of it climbing out of the echo chamber climbing out of the echo chamber broadening up that twitter feed <laughs> follow as many diverse range of sources as possible really i mean a if, lot you, of- if you could give me five what would be your five sources to pick from to give yourself a nice broad uh broad variety broad variety well it'd be very different uh, the news sources that i choose and some uh, ones that i'd recommend but <sighs> originally i probably would have said the new york times before the election but to be honest i do think that they failed in a way especially with their poll um i was working um with the us embassy on the election night and um i think it was like a 97 percent chance of hillary clinton getting elected on um the splash of their website 
and then you wake up the next morning and that's not true that they was, hadn't been looking at the rust belt well yeah. that's it exactly they're not reflecting all of america so i probably wouldn't say the new york times because so the new york times sorry new york times you, you had it you had your chance to be shouted out on this great show and you're not getting it now no new york times unfollow the new york times everybody <laughs> but um you could say that about every news source i mean you could say that about the irish times they've had a rake of uh, quite poor opinion pieces um just explaining about what um the left is and all this sort of quite fascist articles to be oh, honest the with left. you can we can we uh, if we have time at the end after outrage culture and brexit talk we might talk about the left and right labels yeah but um news sources like i think you said that you read um reuters a lot reuters are a news agency so i guess you can't really go wrong with news agencies but they're not going to give you um a lot of analysis or discussion really they're just going to lay out what happened so news sources probably not the new york times the irish times um are good i'm actually yeah i'm actually a big fan of the irish times Mm -hmm. as well yeah um the bbc they do some great work the guardian really really good the washington guardian the the english one yeah the english guardian yeah that's right um and the observer obviously as well the bbc are good and what if you want some news from across the pond in america land in america land um what cnn are fine cnn are fine god yeah. donald wouldn't agree with you would he no he wouldn't <laughs> they're fake news as he fake says. News. <laughs> um yeah the new york times are good as well washington post wall street journal that sort of thing you can't really go wrong but again you should not ever tie yourself to one newspaper because you know certain papers do have complete biases so yeah. you need to give yourself totally a right. so if things. even after listening to the show we can get one person to switch over and like i said to broaden up that twitter feed mm-hmm. uh to maybe maybe unfollow occupy democrat um maybe just take a little step back and think where are my biases mm-hmm. um why do i have these biases mm-hmm. um is there anything i can do about it and am i going to do anything about it yeah um that's perfect Outrage culture. Outrage culture. People love to be offended. They yeah. absolutely love to be victims. They love to have... They love They love to be the underdog at this stage in the game. And I really don't understand it. Um, you mentioned people love to be outraged. What, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, people love to get angry. I mean, um, this might be me completely going on a tangent, but one small example I'd give is the introduction of video technology in football. Um, this could be whatever way you look at it, a very good thing or a very bad thing. But one point that I heard made, which I think is very good and very relevant, is that if you introduced video technology, there would not be half as many things to talk about in the pub afterwards with your mates. Because so much discussion in football is based on the referee is an absolute so-and-so. How did he get that wrong? That's really that interesting. Ball, that ball did cross the line. I'm telling you this, I'm telling you that. You talk about the Luis Garcia goal against Chelsea in the 2005 Champions League semi-final. And um, people still don't know because they didn't have enough angles for that back then. And it's a great source of debate. So people love to have a good um, debate about things. And debate is good, but people love to have a good whinge. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's actually a really, a really cool analogy. That people, they wouldn't have enough to talk about if there was no outrage. I think it's something that a lot of people, um, maybe they find comfort in, in, in each other and with it. Um, in a, to a lesser extent okay mm. here's a very irish example you come in from the cold and you're you walk into a pub or a coffee shop or whatever and it was absolutely pissing rain outside you are absolutely drenched and you walk in you shake off the brolly you take your hat off or whatever and you look around to everybody else and everybody else just there's sympathy there we all know we're all complaining about the same thing there's this kind of collectivism coming on together about us having a whinge about how bad the weather is yeah. and maybe maybe do you, know, do you know what um perhaps this outrage culture that you're talking about this people loving to get a whinge it kind of goes back to a more because it, it does bring people together it, it is brings them together but and again it's perpetuating the echo chamber and maybe maybe that's where it's come from yeah like you see the example i'm gonna get her name wrong is it katie hopkins is that her name i have no idea um but she's this uh british i don't know what exactly her job is but she's a columnist and she oh i do yes katie hopkins you're spot on yeah yeah, she's this commentator and obviously there was a whole outrage about ryan tuberty having her on the late late show and how can you have this mouthpiece who's spewing so much um filth and she's giving out about overweight people and saying i should i don't know i should start smoking just to show people how easy it is to quit and this sort of thing and it's like right 
obviously it's not a good thing that she's on but my god a lot of people are going to tune in why do you think it's not a good thing that she's on well from a personal point of view i just don't think that katie hopkins is a particularly nice person i think she's a horrific person as well don't get me wrong i think she's terrible but yeah. why do you not think she deserves pla- okay maybe she doesn't deserve a platform but i think i think everybody at the end of the day has an equal opportunity an equal right to express their beliefs sure but it comes down to uh, like we were saying with donald trump if you give a platform to hate i don't think that that's a good thing um different point of views is a great thing and debate is a great thing because if we all if we all agreed with each other and got on, it would be a very boring, boring world. But you can't give a platform. If somebody is standing up and spewing bigoted racism and stuff like that, that's never a good thing, no matter what way you rationalize it. Um, now, coming back specifically to Katie Hopkins, I have no idea um, about her her racial and or political biases one way or the other. You, you did mention something about giving out about fat people and perhaps an element of shame in, uh, in the way she conducts herself. But... That being said, I, I think you said a platform shouldn't be given to hate. Mm-hmm. And I think you were in the fort- fortunate position of being, and I think it all stems back to education. I think you're being, you're in the very fortunate position to be, or maybe it's not fortunate, maybe you put the, the work forth yourself um, to get to a level of education in which you could obviously discern this woman's hateful, she's spiteful, she's spewing vitriol on air, and it's utter rubbish and i can tune her out i can maybe even i can maybe even be entertained by her go back and forth with ryan tuberty on the late or whatever it is but you know i'm not going nothing my my beliefs are really not going to be affected by this woman Mm -hmm. so i think i think it would be i think it would be unwise to start drawing lines in the sand about what constitutes hate and what constitutes things that shouldn't be given a platform Mm -hmm. um i think it's very dangerous to do that because as soon as you start limiting the way people express themselves and the way people communicate ideas that can lead to ideologies and that's an entirely other debate in and of itself which it could could be related to journalism in one way or another Mm -hmm. um but i think that's the very reason why there are um all sorts of media sources yeah no i completely agree with you there in that you do have to draw a line in the sand somewhere but obviously uh katie hopkins has a way of um reasoning and rationalizing her point of view and it doesn't necessarily mean that her point of views are wrong just because i disagree with her but at the same time where do you draw that line is it okay to get somebody like i don't know david duke grand wizard of the kkk would it be be okay to get him on the late late show what i what i think personally and this is um i think it's it's probably not gonna be perfect i'm sure there's gonna be some very 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 smart person out there who's gonna uh say well what about in this instance but if if we can all agree um as rational people that there is some kind of formal agreement of what are human rights everything from uh we'll put freedom expression aside just just for a moment now but things like you have the right to be safe you have the right to freely profess whatever religion or ideologies you believe you have um every right to god whatever it is to to basically to live without without imprisonment or you have the right to to freedom and all all such sort of things you have the right to life you have the right to safety if I think anybody that's expressing any sort of belief, if anybody that's expressing any sort of opinion or stance without it actually impeding on anybody else's beliefs, or sorry, anybody else's rights, these fundamental rights that we deem to be sacred in one way or another, the UN Declaration of Human Rights, if we just held that as the gold standard of you can say absolutely anything you want as long as you yourself are not encouraging or inciting anything that would impinge on these rights. And I really don't think that Katie Hopkins is, I, you know, I really don't think Katie Hopkins um, is asking people to go out in the street and do something horrific and violent. I don't think that's, I don't think, I don't think that's what she's doing. Maybe she is, but, but I think the majority of people, a lot of people that, um, that that people would have an issue with giving them a platform they're not actually doing anything they're not actually inciting any kind of violence yeah but they are inciting this sort of mentality that these um bigoted and racist views are okay and they're normalizing them into everyday 
culture and I think that's a bad thing you think it's a bad thing of course and you know what I agree with you mm-hmm. I agree with you in practice and on an emotional level mm-hmm. um, on a principled level however I think you do have the freedom to express whatever you want and it's up to the people that if 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 everybody was getting their equal dose of um, information from everywhere, which they're not, we've already discussed that that's an issue in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, if people were getting enough information from everywhere, they would have the, the capacity to think, well, well, this is just so far out of nowhere. This Katie Hopkins and and Grand Wizard of the KKK, whatever he's saying, it's just so inconsistent with what I kind of have in my head as, as a rational kind of human being that, that I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to count that. That seems ridiculous to me. Mm-hmm. So I think that really does prove uh, how important kind of, how important journalism and media is. Yeah. Um, how it, it can structure people's beliefs. But do you think that anything should be censored then? No, I don't think anything should be censored as long as it is not inciting Let's say, um, okay, here, I don't think it should incite violence. I don't think it should incite um, any sort of discrimination. And I don't think it should incite... Uh, that, that's, that's, those are really the only two that I can think of. As long as it's not discriminating or hurting people, I think you should be able to say whatever the hell you want. And that's why I don't think the Grand Wizard of the KKK should be given a platform. But you know what? Maybe Katie Hopkins is okay. Mm-hmm. Stunned silence in the studio. <laughs> um, we have about five minutes, and I just want to chat a little bit about Brexit. Um, Article 50 was invoked today. I really don't know what Article 50 is. Could you please take it away? Oh, you're asking the wrong person there. I wouldn't, the person, I wouldn't no. know the specifics. Okay, so the Article 50, uh, pr- pretty much, it, it just seems that you've s- that the the process of the Brexit has been set in motion. Yes. Um, and what it, what it, whatever that means is, I think it just means that, um, formally speaking, that talks have begun to finalise the preparations to actually leave. Mm-hmm. And um, the the vote was a very controversial one, especially um, among young people, mm-hmm. uh, among young people who they were the highest demographic speaking. I think the highest among the. 65 plus age category one of the very older age categories the vote to leave was something like 60 70 percent something very very high um and the entire argument against uh that this vote they they thought that this vote was invalid because there was so much misinformation out there Mm um my question really is do you think there's anything that could be done um is there anything that can be done from, say, a regulatory body to stop this kind of misinformation? You mentioned that there was there was one person in charge of quite a lot of the English tabloids. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, really. I don't think there's one organization, regulatory body that oversees um, the media in Britain. I think newspapers sort of um, have a right to say things as they wish. And the media, like the US election cycle, had a big part to play in Brexit coming about. Um, you look at the, a lot of the papers, the Daily Mail, the Sun, um, all the other tabloids, and uh, the Daily Telegraph as well. Like that was very, um, very right leaning, um, and a lot of their front pages were about uh, immigration. Which, um, whether or not you want to debate whether that's actually got a part to do with Brexit, it did become a frontline issue, and. Yeah, I it do. It became think one of the ones. If you vote for Brexit, you are a racist, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like just in terms of truth, it's very, very hard to get to the truth. I mean, you see on one of the Brexit, uh, I'm not sure if it was even a Nigel Farage bus, but uh, on the side of it saying, we are paying so much to the NHS every year. Why can't we put this into somewhere else? And it was a blatant line, that sort of thing. I understand, yeah. But um, yeah, at the moment, it's more important than ever to just have an objective press. But again, people don't know where to look because they don't know who they can trust. Okay, that's absolutely perfect. Um, moral of the story, folks. Whatever it is, whether or not you think that um, DCU should be providing decent accommodation for uh, its people down in St. Pat's, um, whether or not you think that uh, a nice non-echo chamber Twitter feed is a good idea, whether or not you think Katie Hopkins or the Grand Wizard of the KKK should be given a platform or not, or whether or not you think that if you voted to leave the UK, you're a racist. I think it's very important that you go and you check your source. Don't even check. Do you know what? 
when you say checking sources, people kind of have this inclination to uh, look up journals and scientific studies. Just look around and see if there's anything else that's saying otherwise. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I think that would be a long way to um, to kind of just getting rid of this kind of misinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to thank you very much, Aaron, for coming on. Thank absolute you. pleasure. And I absolutely flew by, actually. I think we only have, only have a couple of seconds left. Um, is there anywhere you'd like to tell people to go? Um, yeah, sure. Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron Gallagher 8 or more importantly, you can follow us, uh, The College View, on Twitter or... Better yet, just pick up a copy of the newspaper across campus. Exactly. Uh, You can pick up the paper on campus if you're a DCU student. Uh, If you're not, again, at the College View on Twitter. uh, Really good stuff out of them. And uh, and I think that's the Power Hour this Wednesday after or Wednesday night. Um, we'll be back not this Friday unless I can last minute find a guest. Who knows? we will definitely be back the week after with a guest I haven't actually sorted out yet. So thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next week. The system broken, the schools closed, the prisons open. We ain't got nothing to lose. Everybody, we rolling.